remembering that the world is an enchanted place, that everything around us is in soul, you know, it's alive with spirit. Magic is real and it belongs to all of us. Hey guys, and welcome back to another Coffee Talk. Today is a regular length episode. Today I'm going to be interviewing the wonderful Celeste Larson. She is an author. She wrote the book Heal the Witch Wound and she also is a practicing witch. I made myself a nice lavender oat flower tea because the other thing is I am also feeling under the weather so you'll have to forgive me. My ears are popped. I just you know downed a bunch of water so that my throat isn't too scratchy or froggy and I'm also just like feeling super run down. So I apologize in advance if I just sound different in today's episode or if, you know, you, you, get, you get the drill. You guys have all been sick before. So anyway, that's just my little prelude. I was able to get my hands on her book. She's sending me a physical copy, but I downloaded the audiobook like a week and a half ago and I've been trying to listen to it as much as humanly possible every time I drive into town and I've gotten about halfway through it and it is very eye-opening. I feel very seen by a lot of the witch wounds that she has outlined in the book, some terminology that she uses like hiding in the broom closet. And I, if you've been watching my channel or coffee talks or anything of that sort for a while now, then you'll know that I've dabbled with things like witchcraft, but I've always been super afraid to take the full plunge. So this conversation is going to be really cool for me and hopefully really interesting for you too. I would hope I wouldn't have to make this disclaimer, but I will anyway, just in case that if witchcraft isn't your thing or if you think down about it or anything like that, I would encourage you to keep an open mind and maybe listen to Celeste and hear her out before, you know, drawing a line in the sand. Or if you already know that this just isn't your thing, then today's episode probably won't be for you. But if you are interested in witchcraft, if you're a practicing witch, or if you just want to have a nice, deep spirituality, animism, uh, we're going to get into things like ancestors, healing the actual witch wound, divine feminine, all of that, this is going to be your episode. So let's dive in. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Hello. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you? I'm good. I'm super excited to chat with you today. I did just give a little introduction before diving into our interview, our discussion today, but for the most part, I feel like it's always best to hear from someone's own words. Oh, is that your puppy? <laughs> yeah, he's trying to say hello. <laughs> oh, so cute. Um, yeah, if you just want to introduce yourself, give your name, you could talk about your book or just your passions, your interests, anything you think would be relevant. Yeah, so my name is Celeste Larson, and I'm a practitioner of earth-based and ancestral spirituality and magic. All right, want to say hi? <laughs> um, yep, this is this is my little guy. He had What's his here. name? Cooper. So cute. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. As I was saying, I'm a practitioner of earth-based and ancestral spirituality and magic, um, but really, in simpler terms, I'm a pagan witch. So I'm sure we'll get into a lot about what that means to me and what I actually um, am practicing on a regular basis. Um, 
But aside from that, yeah, I'm also the author of the book Heal the Witch Wound, and I have a feeling we'll dive into that as well. Definitely. Well, before we get into all of the good questions, I always start off every coffee talk this way. I'm curious if you were to walk into a cafe, what would be your go-to order? I am an herbal tea girly. So yeah, I've got here um, some lemon balm tea that I added a little bit of lavender to. So um, that would be my go-to. I love your mug, by the way. Is it a cauldron? Thank you. It is. Yeah, Etsy fine. <laughs> Before we dive into your book, I just want to unpack a little bit more about your journey into things like spirituality, witchcraft, and animism. Like, how did you land here? How did you open this door? Was this something you were interested in since you were really little? Like, what was that journey like for you? Yeah, I honestly, looking back at my life, have always been really into this kind of thing. I feel like I, long before I had the the terminology for it, like I've, I've always been an animist. I remember being a kid and just feeling that the world was a very enchanted place and that, you know, things were alive with spirit. Like I would talk to the trees and um, like to my house and to the wind. And I feel like a lot of kids do those things. But then like many people, as I grew up, I kind of moved away from those beliefs. Um, because I felt like they were childish or that people would think I was weird if I was talking to plants, um, which is a, a great practice that I have readapted, fortunately. But yeah, so it's, it's something I have always been really into and very passionate about. And I feel like that's really what a lot of modern witchcraft is about, is remembering that the world is an enchanted place, that everything around us is in soul, you know, it's alive with spirit. And that's why magic works as a witch, you know, when we're working with tools like candles or crystals or herbs or having a full moon ritual, what we're really doing is connecting with that energy, that web of energy that's alive in you and me and my dog and the nature outside. And um, that's, that's why spells and rituals work the way that they do. At least that's how I see it. That's such a cool answer. And it it actually answers another question I was going to ask you about what you felt like the root of witchcraft and spirituality really is. But I feel like you really just answered that. I'm curious how you would define something like animism solely because it was such an interesting term for me to learn, which you actually just taught me. Thank you for giving me the wording of it, because I was also very similar as a kid and felt that and still feel like sometimes I can hear the trees or just like feel them or sense them. So I'm curious how you would define animism and what it really means to you. So animism is the belief or knowledge really that everything has a spirit, um, that everything is animated, so to speak, and not just um, humans and not even just animals and plants, but also things like stones or mountains or rivers or the moon or um, any body of water or like an entire forest, um, homes, buildings, all have spirit. You know, there's there's individual spirits of the trees that make up that forest, but then there's like place spirits that that live within that forest and kind of define the energy that you feel there. And I think so many people, even if they don't apply spiritual terms to themselves, um, they feel that, you know, like so many people walk into a building or a certain place and they're just like hit with that energy. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of the, the foundation of, of witchcraft, like we were saying. So how would you go about your day to day 
incorporate things like animism or witchcraft or your spirituality? Like, what does that look like for you in routine and in practice? So that's really the cool thing about witchcraft, in my opinion, is it really is all about merging magic with the mundane and kind of finding the the magic in the everyday. For instance, something like your morning routine. Maybe you um, take a shower and you do your skincare. It can be just that, or it can be a ritual where you are calling upon the elements of water for its cleansing and purifying properties, and you're washing away what's not serving you and kind of seeing those stuck energy um, being washed away down the drain. And then you go out and you apply your skincare in a circular motion as you're calling in like magnetism and confidence for the day. And it's the same actions, but ultimately um, a very different result and like sets you up for such a different type of day. Even more simply than that, just recognizing that, that there's magic in the world and that there's spirits in the world, like saying goodbye to your house when you leave or hello. Um, it's just a nice reminder that like you're never really alone, that there's like so many spirits around you that that have your back and that you can connect with at any time if you'd like. While we're recording this, I believe there's a super full moon coming up in two days. What would that look like? Do you do specific moon rituals or do you work with things like astrology at all? Like how do you incorporate that kind of cyclic nature into your practice? Yeah, so it it kind of always varies. I, I feel out the energy of like what's happening for that um, lunar cycle. And yeah, for this one, I'm definitely feeling very witchy. It's um, often known as the harvest moon because this is the full moon closest to the autumn equinox. So we've just passed the autumn equinox. We're like descending into the dark half of the year um, where, you know, night is becoming longer than day. And of course we have Halloween coming up, which is um, connected to the old Celtic festival of Samhain. So a very witchy time of year for a lot of people. So um, I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to be doing for this full moon yet, but usually it looks something like sitting at my altar. I might do like a candle spell. So take candle and anoint it with some oil and herbs that correspond with the intention that I'm working with, Um, you know, holding the candle while I'm thinking about that intention, just like really meditating, visualizing it, calling upon the element of fire, which is really associated with transformation um, and creation and energy and like candle spells are great for rapid results because it's like a very you know um, quick kind of burning energy and so something like that you know but it, it just depends. Do you feel like your understanding and your practice of things like witchcraft has evolved over the years and if so how like how did you get started and where do you feel like you are now? Definitely um, my practice is really kind of always evolving and That's also a great thing about witchcraft is you never stop learning and discovering new things. So like, I mean, monthly, if not weekly, I'm I'm learning new things and kind of figuring out new things about myself. But one of the things that I would like to touch on is earth-based spirituality. It's just inherently like it's not a love and light only kind of path because that's not what nature is, you know, like everything in the natural world is balanced. We have the light half of the year from the spring to autumn equinox, and we have the dark half of the year from the autumn to spring equinox. We have summer, we have winter, we have night and day, we have 
the new or the dark moon and the full moon. So by connecting with these energies in nature, it just really kind of teaches you that like that darkness is okay and it has things to teach us too. And that can be really healing like on a personal level because when you learn that darkness is is just as natural and pure as light um, from nature, then you can kind of learn to get comfortable with that in yourself as well. So it's actually really helped me work through some like fears and limiting beliefs and, you know, those kind of like shadowy parts of myself that can be hard and scary to face. And so it's been really healing for me in that way. It's actually such a perfect segue into talking about your book, which is called Heal the Witch Wound, which seems to be very in alignment with that whole the darkness, sometimes having to work through your shadow self or work through your wounds. So what inspired you to write this book to begin with? The Witch Wound has really been like the healing journey of my life, even before I had, you know, this knowledge of like, what is what is the witch wound and even like, what is witchcraft and animism and like these terms that we're using I always really struggled with who am I as a person. Um, I was like the the kid growing up who I am one way with these people and I, I wear a different mask with these people. And like, it was my worst fear when two different groups of people would come together and I would be like, who am I? I don't know how to act. And I think it's because I was just really out of touch with like my core personhood and a lot of that is because like, I'm kind of a weird person. <laughs> I, I felt really uncomfortable with that, you know, through this process of like, of working through um, like the, the healing practices of healing the witch wound. I've learned that it's okay to be a weird person. It's okay to like do things that other people might scoff at or judge you for such as talking to plants or like practicing witchcraft or identifying as a pagan, you know, having nerdy interests, like whatever it is that you're kind of like not comfortable with with publicly broadcasting about yourself, like it is okay. And there's way more people out there that will accept you than, you know, you might think. But I think that's really, that's really why this was such a, like a big topic in my own lifetime, Um, something that I had to kind of like learn and, and grow through. So yeah, that's why I was inspired to write the book is I was like, I wish I had this book when when I was like growing up or at any point in my life. Right. Like create the thing that you wish you could read yourself type of thing. Exactly. There's so much valuable information specifically about the history of witches and the burning times. Like I found those chapters to be so, I mean, they're obviously very moving because they're heavy, but they're also so full of information and I'm curious to know where you learned about it all. Yeah, I spent a long time when I first started writing my book, um, like the first few months really were devoted to uh, researching the history of the witch trials and taking notes because there's kind of a lot of misinformation about the witch trials out there, Um, especially a lot of people in North America don't really know the history of the European witch trials, which is a lot of what I focused on in my book. But yeah, really around like Salem, there's there's just so many like myths and misconceptions out there. So I, I wanted to do my best to summarize the very complex history of, of this period in time. And luckily, there are a lot of like scholars and historians who have really made this their life's work. And so in the, the bibliography section of my book, I include those resources for anybody who's interested. They usually are scholarly documents. So they're not written by practitioners for practitioners, but that's great in a way because you just kind of dive into like 
the history, you do miss some of the context from a modern practitioner's perspective because like historians tend to not really believe that anybody was a witch. So you have to keep that in mind, but there's a lot of authors out there who do write about the history in a lot of detail. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's extra help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Yeah, that's so cool. And I think that's why I enjoyed your your reiteration of the information because you were so good at balancing it and also giving such a balanced point of view for anybody that could be reading the book of like any gender, no matter your ancestral background, anything of that sort. And you also did a really good job in explaining the heavier the heavier truths of the the burning times and the witch trials while also to being very considerate and really respectful. So it was definitely a very eye-opening and it's right at the front of your book too. So I feel like it, it dives right in. You don't hesitate. And then further into your book, I was so surprised how much I was resonating with a lot of the different symptoms that you explained of the witch wound. And I feel like a lot of people that will read your book will also resonate as well. Specific things like hiding in the broom closet, feeling like you need to hide your beliefs, feeling a fear of judgment or like downplaying it. Uh, another one being, and this is a big one, I think, especially as a as someone that creates content online. And I'm curious if maybe you get this too, but people will come about and say like what you're doing or what you're believing or what you're practicing is dangerous or it's dark or evil in some way. And so for any listeners that might recognize those symptoms or have experienced that too, like what would your advice be to begin healing and reclaiming their own power and, and who they are, what they believe in and yeah, if this, if like witchcraft is calling to them, how, what advice would you give them to lean into it? Well, there's so many individual practices that you, you could rely on to kind of move forward towards that goal. But ultimately what it comes down to is you have to put more stock in what you believe about yourself than what other people believe about you. Because if you're kind of wrestling with like, well, how much do I share about my practices? And you decide to open up to someone and they do approve, but you haven't really worked through that internalized like shame or fear or guilt, um, then their approval might not mean as much as you think it would mean. And conversely, if you have worked through that and someone, you know, is saying what you're doing is evil or that you're crazy or whatever labels they might throw at you, um, but you feel like really secure in like the work that I'm doing is is meaningful and it's powerful and I believe in this, then that sense of personal power can be really unshakable. And so ultimately that's that's the most important thing. Um, like I said, there's so many practices that that can lead you towards that, but that's kind of ultimately what what you're working towards. And you identified as a pagan witch. So I kind of want to touch back on that. Can you explain what that is and like the difference of different types of witchcrafts and practices? Yeah. So the term pagan is really an umbrella term. There's a lot of different beliefs that kind of fit under that, but generally speaking, pagan refers to being outside the scope of like 
the main religions of the world. Specifically, people who use this term tend to be really focused on pre-Christian religions. So I'm very interested in the spiritual and magical practices of the places where my ancestors came from. So um, Scandinavia, Ireland, the British Isles, most of Northern Europe <laughs> kind of scattered around. But yeah, so that's that's my definition of, of what paganism is to me, is really connecting to those ancestral practices, pre-Christian practices. What has your experience been like connecting with your ancestors? And like, what are some ways that someone can connect to their own ancestors and their experiences, their wisdom, and even their wounds? That's a really big part of my personal practice. Like I keep an ancestor altar up year round and it's like my sanctuary and my house. It's one of my favorite places where whether I'm having an amazing day or a horrible day or anything in between, I can go sit there and light a candle and like pour some water or tea or sprinkle some herbs in an offering bowl and just call to my well and wise ancestors and then say whatever it is that I'm wanting to say. And I do really like feel their presence around me. And it often feels kind of like they're standing right behind me, which to people who haven't worked with spirits before that might sound creepy or unsettling, but it's not at all. It's super positive and loving and protective energy and just makes me feel very supported and safe. Um, and it, it can be really as simple as that, but there's so many ways that you can continue to work with your ancestors from, from that point. Once you've kind of established um, contact with them, you can do divination, you can research your family history and reach out to specific ancestors. You can reach out to ancestors who maybe walked similar life paths to the one that you're walking now. So if there's an interest of yours, you can put out a call to ancestors who are artists or musicians or witches or healers, because we all have those ancestors in our lineage, you know, human history, modern humans go back 300,000 years. And so we all have healed and wounded ancestors in our lineage. And if you want to do work with wounded ancestors as well, that can be a very healing thing, identifying those limiting beliefs and patterns of behavior that have been passed down through generations and identifying um, those things that maybe are alive within yourself that didn't actually originate within yourself, but stem from a traumatic moment that your ancestor endured or something along those lines and, and breaking that cycle. Okay. I have so many questions that could come from what you just said. <laughs> I'm going to start with the first, but hopefully I won't forget the second. The first being within your practice, you call upon your ancestors a lot. Do you think each of your ancestors was a completely different lived person? Or do you believe in things like past lives? Could it be that your energy has reincarnated into this life? Like, what does that belief system look like for you? Um, all of the above. <laughs> like, I, you know, I don't know more than anybody what what happens when we die. But I think there are, are a lot of possibilities. And I kind of think my own belief, I think that people have their own journey after they die. And so I've, I've lost people in my life. And I have noticed that some of them, uh, I can feel their energy after they're gone, and some people I can't. So I think maybe different things are, are happening to them. Um, they've got different journeys ahead of them, whether it's, you know, they're, they're on to their next life, or they're somewhere else, I don't really know. But I do think that 
some ancestors for whatever reason kind of stick around and remain available to us um, and that these are the ancestors that we can connect with and what's interesting is a lot of pre-Christian cultures believed um, that there was not just one part of the soul and that's kind of how we tend to think about it today it's like we have one soul and it goes one place after you die but a lot of cultures believed that there were multiple parts to the soul, whether it was three parts or six parts or however many parts. And so one part of the soul might remain as energy that you still feel here on earth. And one part goes on to the next life. And um, one part can even, you know, get passed down through the family line. So I don't, I don't know what happens, but I know that you can, you can feel those energies. Wow, that's so cool. I've never heard of that before, but that actually would make a lot a lot of sense if our souls had multiple parts instead of just being one solo entity. My other question was going to be because you've touched on the darker sides of witchcraft and magic and working with specifically earth-based magic. And then you also have touched upon, I just read over this part of your book, the the concept of like, yes, there are going to be darker sides to this as well. And so for anyone listening, that's like, okay, is witchcraft, if I start doing or casting spells, am I opening myself up to like a demon or to bad energy? Or even if, if we're to include like ancestors that might not be healed, but maybe it wouldn't be a very great experience. I guess let's start there. So, yeah, I guess the first thing I'll say is that like anything in life, there are risks. And I think that's just something that you always have to keep in mind, literally, whether you're just walking down the road or you're practicing witchcraft, like there are things that can happen. There's no need to, to go overboard or be overly cautious um, when it comes to protecting yourself. Like if you're getting in the car and you're driving somewhere, you drive a car that has airbags and you buckle yourself in. And so we have those same kind of practices in witchcraft that most of the time you're not going to need them. Um, but it's good to have them in case you do need them. So practices like casting a circle around yourself, which is really just the practice of what it sounds like setting up like an energetic barrier around yourself when you're at your altar or doing a spell or a ritual. And you can do this. You don't even need tools as simple as like feeling your energy centered within your body and kind of seeing it going down your arm and you can point your fingers and just walk or turn in a circle and see the circle forming on the floor around you with the intention that your circle is protected and, and safe and shielded from any energies that you're not specifically calling in. Um, there are many different ways that you can do that, but that's a simple one. You can do things like setting up wards for your home and so many folk witchcraft practices are based on exactly that. Like we have such a rich wealth of folklore about the witches of the past who buried witch bottles, which were things that would have, you know, like herbs and nails and things to ward off harmful spirits. Nails because iron was said to, to scare off a lot of spirits. And so they would, you know, bury that um, below their front door or hang something above the threshold. Uh, you can do that throughout your house with different enchanted items, blessed with the energies of protection. So there are a lot of precautions that you can take, but overall, it, it's the equivalent of like wearing your seatbelt. Hopefully you're not going to need it, but you have it if if you need it. Have you ever, or is it a possibility to 
call upon, let's say like your ancestors as a form of protection too. Like my papa passed away back in 2013 and I've had a couple people like that are either psychic or very spiritual that I've been around that I've been like, whoa, like I can, I can sense like your papa's energy around you. He's very, very protective. And I'm, I've always been curious about that as well. Like, is that something you would do too? Or is that something you've like, you would advise doing as a form of protection? Absolutely. I think even if you don't have the names of specific ancestors, you can always call upon your well and wise ancestors to watch over you because their ancestors have a vested interest in you. You know, you're their living legacy and they want you to do well and they want you to succeed. So they're a very powerful spirit ally to have. Um, Not the only one. There's other spirits that you can work with as well. Um, deities, you know, who, whatever kind of spirits you might be interested in working with, but having those friends on the other side, so to speak, who can watch your back and protect your home. Definitely. If that's something that you're comfortable with doing, I think that's a great, really powerful practice. Okay. I'm going to read a little excerpt from your book. I hope that's okay. Uh, Cause I have a follow-up question. I feel like it'll help give a bit more context to it. It says, Our earth and our people of all genders need this balance to be restored. We need the intuitive, nurturing, creative, sensual, collaborative, supportive energies of the divine feminine, which will in turn bring out the much needed light attributes of the divine masculine, action, accountability, courage, strength, responsibility, protection. Imagine the kind of world we would create if all of these energies were directed at healing the earth healing our modern culture and healing our people's bodies, minds, and spirits. I believe this form of healing begins with embracing the three great archetypes of the sacred feminine, often depicted in the form of a triple goddess, the maiden, mother, and crone. If we can befriend and honor these manifestations of femininity within not just ourselves, but also those around us and in the universe as a whole, we can begin the important work of healing the wounded feminine and reawakening the ancient bonds of sisterhood. So. I feel like I've very vaguely heard of these terms before the maiden, the mother and the crone, but I'm curious, what does embracing and honoring those three, what did you call them? The triple goddesses, what does that look like in practice? Yeah, so I love that question. The maiden, the mother and the crone are really timeless, ancient archetypes across so many different cultures. We see figures, whether they are heroes or goddesses who appear in myths and folklore who kind of fit into these greater archetypes. Um, The idea of a a triple goddess is also kind of an ancient thing, but I think in this specific form, it's a little bit more of a modern representation, which is totally fine. Um, It's one that I and many people still resonate with, but I just wanted to to share that. We can learn a lot. And our ancient ancestors really relied on myths to learn about the world and to learn about things like rites of passage or the dangers of the world or morals and ethics. Myths were so important and they were, you know, told orally rather than being written down. And we, as a modern culture, I feel, have really forgotten how to learn these lessons from myths. Like, they're so clouded by fantasy and things that we think couldn't possibly be real. So we forget that there is some real value and wisdom in them. But if we can kind of embrace the wisdom of myths by seeing our own lives playing out like a myth. So we we all go through these phases of life. Um, 
as women where we have our our periods of time when we are embodying the maiden who is youthful and you know kind of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and curious about the world and very open-minded and wants to learn everything and experience everything and the mother which is the archetype who I most identify with right now although I am not a mother in the literal sense but the mother really embodies the energy of of creation and of being nurturing and generous and being a teacher and a caretaker and that's something kind of as I moved out of my 20s into my 30s that I felt like I just I felt that shift energetically within myself while I was working on my book and some other big projects I just felt like I was leaving behind some of some of my maidenhood moving into that that mother role so it doesn't have to align specifically with with age even or with things like you know menstruation or giving birth or anything like that it's it's more about the energy that you're feeling in your life yeah kind of seeing your life playing out like a like a myth and feeling well what does it feel like to to embody the energy of the maiden and I even though I said I'm kind of in my mother era at the moment I can still work with these other archetypes like if I am learning something new that's a great time to call in those energies of the maiden and say, okay, like how, how does the maiden move through the world? What's it feel like when I am bringing these energies into my body? How does she go about learning something new? And yeah, it, it could really help you kind of navigate different situations in your life. Yeah, I think our, our ancestors would be quite sad to see the way that we think about those archetypes in our in our world today. Like when you consider how the maiden, you know, the young woman is treated being written off as naive or vain or self-centered or inexperienced, like her voice is overlooked by bosses and doctors. And then the way that mothers are treated, the way that older women are treated, it's just really shameful and toxic. And so just kind of loving those archetypes in ourselves and in others, the way that, that we see them showing up around us is, it's really healing. Like it, it's subtle, but that's what magic is. It's, it's subtle. It's so empowering too. And is the, would the crone be almost like the old sage, like wisdom? Is that the like spiritual, how that would come about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like the, um, the oldest stage of, of a woman in her life. And what's interesting is they kind of correspond with the phases of the moon as well. So the mother is corresponding with like the full moon um, the maiden it, with the waxing stage, and which means, you know, the moon's growing from new to full, and then the crone with the uh, waning stage moving from full to new. It's even interesting to think about how, as like a society and in, in North American culture as well, but also just in social media, like there's so much emphasis on staying the maiden but even still like, that's what I was thinking as you were describing that but then you brought up a good point too there's so much emphasis for women to stay in that maiden phase that maiden energy because once you become the mother or once you move into the crone like you're no longer valued as much by society but also you're so right that the maiden's voice is seen as like not not necessary, doesn't have anything to add, doesn't have anything to say or to innovate. So that is, I feel like there's so much there I have loved to unpack. And I do have another question too, that made me think of when you made reference to 
reawakening the ancient bonds of sisterhood. And you mentioned how our ancestors, like how you feel like they might be upset to see how we've let these myths go. I'm curious, like, what do you believe those ancient bonds of sisterhood were like? And how do you feel like they might be missing in modern day? Yeah, I think that femininity in general was just looked at very differently than it is today. And we have a lot of evidence about that. Um, for for one thing, just the division of, of genders um, altogether was a, a lot different in the past where like the division of labor was a lot more equal. And, you know, this is if, if you go back to like pre-agriculture era, like men and women were hunters and gatherers. They were all um, contributing pretty equally to society, but they were also respected for their their unique gifts and strengths. And so one of those for women is the ability to birth life into the world. And I think that women really had very close bonds in that way. You know, like women gave birth in the company of other women with their midwives and, you know, they would be together at the same time when when they were menstruating and they would have these rituals where they would be separated from the rest of the village and even moving forward, um, there's a lot of evidence, which I didn't really know this until I was researching for my book about the way that medieval women interacted and like they had very close bonds of sisterhood. And the medieval era was an era with a lot of issues. <laughs> like there was, there was a lot um, of persecution and, um, you know, judgment happening. But even so, like, I think women had very, very close bonds during this time where like they worked together and they raised children together and they socialized together like I read these great texts about women meeting up at like the tavern without their husbands and how that was like what women would do and even the term gossip used to just mean like women socializing like it didn't mean like saying anything bad about other people uh, that kind of just got turned on its head as a way of like demonizing what what women do and demonizing women getting together so yeah, I think we've, there's so much competition among women and like jealousy and compare, comparing yourself to what other people are doing, whether it's how they look or what they're achieving or the relationship status. And um, I just think it's so important and so healing to like, to reach out to other women and to show support for them like unconditionally if you know if these are your family and your friends and the people that you love like to just show that unconditional support and enthusiasm for for their success and celebrating it like your own cuz cuz it is you know when when one of us is succeeding like we're all we're all succeeding it's so true and to kind of wrap up our conversation on the book in particular what was your experience like with healing your own witch wound or wounds? And do you think it is something that can be fully healed or is it an ongoing practice? It's definitely an ongoing practice. In fact, in my book, I refer to it as the spiral path of healing because you do tend to come back to the same lessons again and again, you know, with when it comes to the witch wound, if there are certain aspects of it that you are really struggling with, whether it's speaking your truth or being authentically seen or connecting deeply with other women, um, you know, coming out of the broom closet, whatever it may be, there may continue to be triggering situations. Even for myself, just within the last year, my husband and I traveled back home to his hometown for a wedding, which is in the south 
Eastern United States in kind of a small town. And it was a lot of people I hadn't seen in a long time. And my husband, he's so supportive and was going around telling everyone, oh yeah, she's like such a successful witch now. And it was people who like, I never talked to about my practice at all. And some of them just looked so stunned. And of course, I'm at the point in my life where I'm not hiding anything, but that didn't mean I wasn't triggered because I was. That makes so much sense. And for anyone that would be relating to the scenario you even just described or have related to some of the witch, other witch wounds, I know that you did sort of touch on like the best part being feeling certain and sure within yourself. But even when you do feel that sense of like, oh, uh, it's triggered again. And you do like you are very sure and certain in who you are and what you practice and what you believe. What do you do in those scenarios? Sometimes I think it's honestly, it comes back to like, you fake it until you make it like, I am out of the broom closet, there's no coming back in at this point in my life. And there's going to be moments that that feel uncomfortable or that do um, trigger you in different ways. But I trust in my journey so far. And I trust in the, the healing that I've done. And I trust in where I am as a person. So even when it feels uncomfortable, you know, that's when growth happens when you're uncomfortable. And so just the, the discomfort that you can tolerate, you know, like you don't have to, if, if you're completely hidden and secretive about your practices, there's no need to jump all the way to like announcing it to the whole world, but just kind of like pushing, meeting your edge and pushing past it a little bit is, is all you have to keep doing if you want to open up more and, and you're struggling. That's really good advice. I'm curious if in your experience, especially ever since you've come out of the broom closet yourself, have you ever gone through phases where you felt a distance or any kind of like disconnect or gone through times in your life where it was hard for you to feel connected to your practices and, and your beliefs? And if so, how do you navigate those situations? Yeah, of course. I think everybody probably does. And what's interesting is, again, this kind of comes back to like the seasonality and the uh, the fluidity of the natural world, we all are affected by those cycles. You know, we're all affected by the changing of the seasons and the 24-hour clock. And as a woman who menstruates, I my body's also on a roughly 28-day hormonal cycle. So my energy and my motivation is constantly ebbing and flowing. Um, as I mentioned right now in, in the dark half of the year is when I'm feeling like my most witchy and I'm wanting to meditate and do divination and spend time at my altar every day. And it comes really easy to me, but there are other times of the year when I would have to use more force on myself to, to get myself to show up in, the, in that same way and have that same depth in my practice. And I've done that, but at this point, I don't really think it's necessary, you know, like if I'm not feeling it, why force it? That's like forcing it to, to snow in the summer. It just is kind of going against what my body wants to do. And spirituality and magic are lifelong practices. Like there's really no rush. There's no urgency. You can't learn or do it all in a week or a year or even a lifetime. So it's okay, I think, to have those periods of stagnation. They might be important and you might see that as time passes, because I think, I think people usually do find their way back to their practices. Like it, it is like this and that's okay. 
That makes a lot of sense. I do feel like too, even in my own experience of times where I felt a little distance from my spirituality, coming back to it, it almost like reignites that passion and you learn more from that time off. It's like giving your brain and your spirit and your soul some space to absorb new information and think in new ways. So I'm curious, like anyone that's listening right now and they want to start out on a similar path or start leaning more into witchcraft or connect to their spirituality, or maybe they felt really connected to your examples of animism, like obviously your book is a great resource to get started, but what other areas or what guidance do you, would you give to somebody who is really, really enjoying this conversation, really passionate and wants to jump in? I would say follow that spark, like whatever it is that is feeling, um, you know, most alive for you. If you're really wanting to explore astrology or animism or um, like traditional witchcraft, um, divination, you, like I was saying, like, you can't, you can't learn it all in a week. And I think a lot of people who are newer to the path of witchcraft get really overwhelmed because they want to learn it all in a week. Like there are so many amazing books and Instagram accounts and YouTube channels out there who teach about this kind of stuff. And so it can be a little overwhelming when you look and see how much other people are doing and how much they've learned like you want to be on that same level um, but you'll get there so just pick something for now pick whatever is, is calling to you so if you're interested in in animistic witchcraft find books that talk about that find one or find one instagram account and start learning from that and that path will lead you to others um, and just just be patient with yourself to conclude our conversation today, I'm going to give you a couple little rapid fire questions, if you don't mind, uh, solely because I feel like it, this helps get really down to the, the soul, the core of somebody. The first being, what is a quote that you try and live by or one that you come back to often? So <laughs> I picked a, a pretty nerdy quote for this one, but I do come back to it all the time. It's from The Lord of the Rings, and it's a conversation between Frodo and Gandalf and if you're someone who's never seen Lord of the Rings, I'm so sorry, but it's not going to make that much sense. But Frodo is talking about how he wishes the, the ring had never come to him and he wishes that they weren't going through these dark times. And Gandalf says, you know, so do all who see these dark times, but that's not for us to decide. This is the main quote that I wanted to share is all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. So I, I love that quote because I, I just think it's true, like in so many situations we're we're going through rough years here on earth recently, and maybe we wish we could have been born in a different time. That's not for us to decide, but we do get to decide how we show up every day with whatever amount of time we have here. Oh, I love that quote. Okay. Do you believe that we are the only source of intelligence or living beings in the whole universe? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> no, <laughs> not even on this earth. Um, yeah. So I, I won't, dive too deep into my answer for that because I could we could have a whole episode about that but in short no definitely not okay like is it like a multi-dimensional thing or now I want to pick it apart a little bit but I'm just curious <laughs> yeah I mean like all of the above so of course there's there's the animism I think that all of the spirits here on earth have things that they can teach us they have their own intelligence their own wisdom definitely um believe in different dimensions, different worlds that are kind of parallel to our own, like the other world, the spiritual realm where ancestors and deities reside. 
and then aliens too, you know, all of the above. Okay. Love that answer. Uh, and if you could give one message to the world or to anyone listening today, what would it be? I would say magic is real and it belongs to all of us. So claim it as your birthright because it is, and don't give up that birthright just because someone else thinks you should. It's not their life. It's your life. So make it magical. That's perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This was such an enlightening conversation. It was so nice to be able to talk with you and to pick apart your brain and and hear your beliefs, your practices. I really appreciate you feeling safe to come to you so and feeling open to giving me your time today. And of course, like any, any of your resources and your book will all be listed in the description. So anyone listening that's interested can check you out. You also have a beautiful Instagram. I was just looking at it the other day. I saw that you also, it was one of your pinned posts, I believe, but you, you live in Ireland now, right? I do. Yeah. I moved here um, about a year and a half ago. And are you liking it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) What's not to like? I absolutely love it. I mean, it's beautiful. It's like super rainy and windy outside right now. But even that is really cozy, you know. Thank you so much for coming. It was such a nice opportunity to get to chat with you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And it was great chatting with you. Every time I do a Coffee Talk podcast, I'm always so inspired by the people that I get to bring on the show. And all I want to do right now is really go lean into all of my own spiritual practices that I feel like I've been so, not hush-hush about, but even just like that I've always been walking a line with, feeling like I wasn't allowed to fully embrace. And so that was such a cool conversation. I definitely feel very empowered. I loved everything Celeste had to say. Again, I'll leave all of her information, including her book, in the description notes. Definitely be sure to check it out. Every time I just, every conversation, every interview I'm able to have, I just get so inspired by it. And I love bringing new souls onto the podcast. So if there's anyone else you guys want to see, be sure to let me know. You can come on over to YouTube if you're just listening today, or if you're already here, drop it in the comments below, or if this episode brought up any thoughts for you, anything you want to share on the subject matter, definitely feel free to do that too. And yeah, without further ado, I'm going to close this down because I am again, not feeling so great. So I need a nap. (laughs) Cheers, everyone. So I I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. So I I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.